Greetings, Seamheads, far and wide. I am Casey Light, and this is the Blake Street Irregulars podcast. The very last one you're going to hear before the Rockies kickoff Cactus League play. That happens tomorrow. Today is Thursday, February 22nd. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm ready for it to be Friday already. Uh, Blake Street Irregulars podcast is presented by Tap 14 at 1920 Blake Street, one half block from Coors Field, with 70 Colorado beers on tap and 100 Colorado distilled spirits. American Alpine Fair that is locally sourced and rotates seasonally. It is our favorite spot during the baseball season. We will be podcasting our Thursday editions from Tap 14. So this very edition that you'll be hearing in just a few weeks will be from Tap 14. So stop by, check them out at 1920 Blake Street. I am joined today by Anilo Piro, a man of many talents here at Mile High Sports, covers the Nuggets for us, has a radio program, uh, but really is uh, the main man for our Rockies beat. He is at Coors Absolutely. Field, uh, maybe not 81 games a year, but like <laughs> 70, 79 and a half. Very right? Anilo, close. welcome to the Blake Street Irregulars podcast. Happy to be here, man. Uh, like you said, this is going to be an exciting podcast, an exciting season for Mile High Sports coverage. Uh, I know we have a lot of great stuff kind of in the works for the coming year. So this is kind of the tip of the iceberg. I'll be down here in spring training within the next couple of weeks. I know we'll have a bunch of other dudes down there um, from Mile High Sports. So really excited for uh, what the season holds in front of us. Well, and the season holds so much excitement, so much anticipation. And I think the word that probably leaps off of people's tongues the fastest about this season is expectations, yep. right? The Rockies won 87 games last year. Uh, probably a little bit of a surprise to some. Maybe not for those of us who were in and out of that clubhouse day in and day out. You started to see little signs of it, even as far back as 2016 when they were flirting with 500 into August and we were mm -hmm. excited about that. Um, with the sort of mentality shift that Bud Black brought in his first year as manager, that really paid huge rewards as well as the acquisition of Greg Holland in the closer role uh, and the big leaps forward that, that we got some surprising uh, leaps forward from pitching uh, that we didn't think we were going to get. Uh, those four rookies were just outstanding last year. We won't talk about pitchers today. We're going to we're gonna curb that for another day. Um, but expectations are the is really the word of the year for 2018. And so the focus of today's podcast is going to be the expectations that we have for the position players, specifically the starting eight. Now, we're going to put a little asterisk on this. And we're going to say this is the starting eight as the Rockies have set their depth chart as we enter into the first Cactus League game of the year, which is tomorrow against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, Jeff Hoffman was announced yesterday. He will be getting the start in that one for whatever that is worth. Um, <laughs> but we're going to go around the, the lineup. We're going to go basically two through nine, and we're going to determine what expectations do we have for the individuals in those roles because we have some new bodies uh we have some bodies that are potentially going to be moving or, or sort of shifting their role and then we have some stalwarts some guys that that are really kind of the cornerstones of this franchise and were a big big part of that run to the wild card game last year so we're going to dive right into it uh anilo the very first position we're going to look at was a position that had some very big changes both last year as well as big changes this year uh we're talking about the catcher position, yep. right? And if, if you go simply by total games played, Tony Walters was your number one catcher last year. But I think we would all agree that Tony Walters really is not the number one. He, he certainly won't be going into 2018. He really wasn't the number one at the time, by the time the Rockies acquired Jonathan Lucroy at the trade deadline. So Tony Walters, a very, very good player. I think we both agree. We've talked about him before. Uh, great guy to have on the roster, but he's not going to be your number one. Uh, your number one this year is going to be Chris Iannetta, a very 
uh, familiar, familiar face. face. In fact, uh, Chris Iannetta, if you go through uh, all of the Rockies' 25 seasons prior, uh, no catcher has started more opening days for the Colorado Rockies than Chris Iannetta, Interesting. who is now back at the age of 35. What do you expect from Chris Iannetta at 35 in his return to the Colorado You know, Rockies. it's going to be interesting, and obviously offense is going to be the highlight of a lot of this, uh, the talking points here with these guys. And I mean, while Iannetta is going to be a serviceable catcher behind the plate for this team, I mean, he doesn't jump off the stat sheet by any means. Last year with the Arizona Diamondbacks, he hit 254 overall with 43 RBIs, 17 home runs, and 89 games played. I mean, even, we always talk about, you know, the Coors Field effect per se. Um, and his time as a Colorado Rocky, I mean, he really wasn't over-impressive. A career 235 batting average as a member of the Rockies. Uh, this is going to be a guy that... Uh, the Rockies signed Ionetta, in my opinion, for less offensive production and more so just to get a veteran behind there that can really work with this young pitching staff. I think when Jonathan Lucroy was inserted um, behind the plate last year, you really saw you know, John Gray, Kyle Freeland, the rest of those guys really buckle down a little bit because of that veteran presence. And obviously, that's not to discredit Tony Walters by any means, but Walters is a converted catcher. I mean, this is a guy that's still learning to play the position. Um, is he the catcher of the future for the Rockies? Potentially. But this year, Chris Ionetta, as of right now, is going to be the guy. So offensively, I don't. I'm not expecting a whole lot. I think right around 260 is fair for him. Um, you know, maybe right around that 50 RBI mark and, and you know a dozen home runs or so. Yeah, and and let's not forget that that season that he had last year in Arizona, his one and only season in Arizona. A couple things to consider in that. Number one is that Arizona is very similar to Coors Field very in similar. terms of being hitter friendly. In fact, they're going to be implementing a humidor there this year. Interesting. Uh, so that'll be very very interesting to Rockies see. Rockies are the pioneers uh, for that. Yes, uh, Troy Lavulo <laughs> has already said that he's going to be uh, picking Daniel Descal. Also's brain about what to expect from that. Uh, but yeah, taking sort of a page out of the Rockies book because Chase Field does have that really high park factor mm-hmm. like like Coors Field does. Uh, but here's the concern for me with Chris Iannetta is, yes, 254. That's a that's a serviceable Fair. average, right? Uh, the 43 RBI, you know, a, a decent number, 17 home runs. You'll take that from, from a catcher, mm-hmm. guy who's probably going to be hitting sixth, seventh in the lineup. Um, but that was a significant bounce back year from his two previous seasons. Uh in 2016, a single year with the Mariners, where over 94 games he hit just 210, and the year before that, his final year with the Angels in 92 games, hit a measly 188. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Chris Iannetta is is a guy who we know can handle the pitching staff, and that, I think that as you as you mentioned, that's really the reason that they brought him back. Uh, obviously, we saw they needed that last season. It's why when when they made the move early in the year to to pull up Ryan Hannigan, who was a veteran guy, probably knows every National League hitter like the back of his hand because he's been in the league for so long. Uh, it was really because nothing against Tony Walters, but he just doesn't have the the depth of knowledge uh, that a Ryan Hannigan had, that Jonathan Lucroy had, even though Lucroy had spent you know some time over in the American League. What I like about the move with Ionetta um, is that. The Rockies gave him that year in Arizona to relearn the National League West. Absolutely, That would have been my concern. If they had gone after Chris Iannetta, say, last year, I think I would have been a little bit more concerned because he hadn't been playing in the National League West since 2011, his final year with the Rockies, when he uh, went over to the Angels. So I like that because they get a year of scouting, a year of all of that sort of uh, reintegration into the National League West. So all of that work that he had to put in for the Diamondbacks, the Rockies are going to benefit from. So I I really like that, you know, from a statistical standpoint, you know, Tony Walters. 
Walters was a 240 hitter over his 83 games. Jonathan Lucroy in his 46 games hit 310. Uh, you know, Lucroy was was clutch in a lot of moments, but he also had some times where he came up empty. He did. Um, and then Ryan Hannigan, you know, 267. You, you could probably list in in on one hand the number of big hits that Ryan <laughs> Hannigan had. So, you know, I I, I think what's ultimately going to be the story in my mind with Chris Iannetta is did the Rockies jump too soon? Because yeah. Jonathan Lucroy, who is still a available. all-star, who was an all-star a few years ago, is still available on the my open mind. market. And I think the Rockies may have, have over considered what he was going to end up being worth and, and went in on a deal with Iannetta which was a multi-year deal that maybe had they waited a little bit longer, they might have been able to get Lucroy at that same deal, which would have been certainly a better deal for for the Rockies because he's, you know, by and large, he's he's a better player with a longer potential. I don't want to take too hard of a left turn here, but the fact that Lucroy is still out there, do you, do you entertain the idea of bringing him back if you are the Rockies? We, we talked about this uh, when we did the the breaking down the backstops, and... I think the only reason you might consider doing that is if you're willing to reconvert Tony Walters back into yeah. a player in the mold of Alexi Amarista, who moved on in the offseason and will not be available for the Rockies this year. So is Tony Walters your new Alexi Amarista? But now all of a sudden, all that time, effort, and energy that you've spent absolutely moving him to the backstop position and taking him out of his role as that utility guy who can play, you know, essentially all eight positions. Uh, all this now you're you're putting Tony Walters on a yo-yo. Um, mm. Look, he's he's that's the type of major league ball player that he is. So he kind of has to accept his role. But I, I, the, what it ultimately comes down to, to me, and, th- and this is, I think, is a good way to parlay into our next uh, into our next position, which is first base, the number three spot, is. How much money are the Rockies still willing to spend? They went out and spent over $100 million this offseason, primarily on their bullpen, but they did go in and do arbitration deals to increase the pay for Charlie Blackman, increase the pay for DJ LeMayhew. Uh, they, they locked up Chris Russon on a deal uh, to keep him around for another year and paid him you know, relatively well for that. Same thing with Chad Bettis. All of these are on arbitration deals, but they were spending money. Uh, they weren't letting this go to arbitration and trying to nickel and dime everybody. So when we look at the first base position, it's a question of, okay, if you're the Colorado Rockies and you have, let's just pick a number and say $10 million, mm-hmm. right? They, let's say that Dick Monfort is willing to spend an additional $10 million on this 20, 2018, sorry, I almost said 2017, <laughs> um, 2018 club. Is that money better spent behind the plate or at first base, where at the moment you have a 23-year-old who has very, very little major league experience under his belt at the top of your depth chart? Let's talk about Ryan McMahon. He is potentially replacing Mark Reynolds, who was sort of a tale of two seasons last yeah. year. And who's still available for that matter, too? If the Rockies want to go, you, you kind of gave that $10 million uh, threshold. Reynolds will not command that much by any means. I think you're looking for a, contra- a one-year deal with Reynolds. I don't even know what he would be valued at, but pretty low. I mean, maybe $2 million, if that. Well, Three. he came in last year on a minor league contract, mm-hmm. and... He was the steal of of the season because you know the numbers that he put up were were really quite impressive. Um, ultimately, ended up hitting two sixty seven in batting average, uh, but the the bigger numbers were the thirty home runs and the ninety seven RBI. Yeah. Uh, his strikeout numbers were down by Mark Reynolds standards, absolutely, uh, but they were still. Pretty high in the sense that uh, they were at 175 for the year uh, within shouting distance of the National League leader who is also on this roster that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, 
you know Mark Reynolds is looking for a longer-term deal because there was conversation in June that he was an all-star. Yeah. So you know he's looking for a, a multi-year deal. But I think Major League GMs know Mark Reynolds is still the guy who led the league in strikeouts for, what, four out of the five-year four out of exactly. five-year span exactly. um, not in the not-too-distant future or not-too-distant past. So, you know, Mark Reynolds is still floating out there. He wants to go back to the Rockies. He has, he has outwardly said that. That's been reported. And I think it's a very good fit. Uh, Bud Black was, you know, was quoted as saying earlier on in this week that he wants to see what Ryan McMahon looks like in spring training. So expect heavy reps from Ryan McMahon. But in his limited time, only 24 plate appearances at the major league level, he hit just 158 last year. Uh, are we pr- pressing the panic button too much in only 24 at bats? And I feel like a majority of those came in, you know, not garbage situations, but pinch hit s- scenarios. Um, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily set up for success like a guy like Charlie. Blackman would be or a Nolan Arenado. I mean, he wasn't getting golden opportunities to raise an average. You know, it, it wasn't like this guy was, you know, handed on a silver platter and whatnot. So I am not concerned with Ryan McMahon at all. I, I truthfully do think he is the some sort of positional player of the future, whether that be at first base, <laughs> second base, third base, we don't really know. But to me, I think the advantage of injecting a guy like Ryan McMahon into your system right now is you're going to start introducing that new wave of Rockies. I mean, because hypothetically, you know, the conversation is the Rockies are only going to be able to keep either Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman, or Diesel Mayhew. Two of those three, maybe even one of those three. You have guys like Ryan McMahon, Brendan Rodgers, you know, that next wave of guys that are going to need to start getting groomed into the major league level. Obviously, the Rockies have a, an opening of sorts at first base. Uh, Ian Desmond is expected to have some time played there as well. Um, But to me, he... McMahon is just raked in the minor leagues. I mean, I believe he has a uh, batting average over 300 in AAA Albuquerque um, in his time down there. Um, he's a guy that has proven at all different levels that he can hit. He just needs the opportunity to do so. Yeah, uh, it combined between Hartford and Albuquerque, Hartford of the Eastern League and Albuquerque of the Pacific Coast League, uh, a 355 batting yeah, average over incredible. 519 plate appearances. So a huge number, actually 374 in the PCL. So he actually performed better when he moved up. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I, I've cautioned uh, on this podcast and and live on Mile High Sports Radio, AM 1340, FM 1047, that you have to be a little bit careful about getting too excited over half-season stats, between, especially during, especially in the Eastern League, um, in the early part of the year, You know, the, where he last year hit 326 and had 32 RBI, six home runs, uh, over a total of 181 at-bats, because that is not a particularly pitcher-friendly league. In fact, the Rockies you know, really try and get their guys out yeah. of their, their strong pitchers out of there. It's not like it used to be when, when the double club was in Tulsa and you could kind of stick mm-hmm. those guys down there and, and Tulsa was a great place to, to sort of uh, get these pitchers up to speed that has changed since their double-a team is now in Hartford uh, I, the Eastern League is not great for pitchers so it's going to tend itself a little bit better to to the, the the batting statistics the same thing is true in Albuquerque which actually has a higher elevation and a larger outfield than Coors Field believe it or not so you're you're in this kind of this situation where you don't want to be built up by this false sense with Ryan McMahon, but at the same time, you have to give him every opportunity. And I think yeah. that's what we're going to see is a ton of reps here during the early parts of spring training, especially. And in the event that they don't feel confident that he can take this job and, and really run with it and give them a competitive option, because they have to have that in these in these final year or maybe two years, as we've talked about, where the big three, Nolan, Charlie, and DJ, are still going to be together. Uh, you know, They can't waste that on a question mark at first base. Yeah. So it becomes then the question of is that you know is that then Ian Desmond sliding into that spot or is that going out and spending money on a Mark Reynolds Uh, it's so hard to say what that's going to look like because we don't know and this is you know a recurring theme in this podcast 
is we don't know what the Rockies' long-term vision is. Is it to re-sign Charlie and DJ and milk that final year with Nolan in 2019 with the big three together, or is it to give Nolan the Brinks truck that he's going to command and move on in 2019 from Charlie and DJ where your roster is going to have a vastly different makeup? So there's so many of those moving parts that really only Jeff Breidich knows, and he was very vocal earlier on this week saying, we're not going to talk about those plans. We're not going to talk about those things publicly. Yes, the conversations will be had, and they will be had in private. We will continue to negotiate with those guys, uh, but those will be behind closed doors because we have a singular focus, at least on the public sphere, of going out and making our way back to the playoffs and competing for a championship. Let's continue to slide around the diamond. Uh, let's look at the number four position, and that's second base. DJ LeMahieu is coming off another stellar season. Uh, struggled a bit early in the year last year, but but rebounded quite nicely, and ultimately, as he always does, hit above 300. Picked up a gold glove, uh, a much-deserved one. I, I think he kind of got jobbed the year yeah. before, uh, but that was his second gold glove. DJ LeMayhew has been the model of consistency for this club and really one of the most dynamic and diverse hitters, not just in the Rockies lineup, but across the major leagues. Do you expect any kind of a drop-off from DJ in 2018? I don't really. I mean, to me, DJ LeMayhew is the epitome of consistency for this team. His third straight season last year, hitting over 300, finished the season with a 310 in batting average to follow up his 348 batting title campaign in 2016. Listen, this guy, you know, he continues to work. And, and to me, from being in and around the clubhouse so often, he is the best player in that clubhouse of keeping a level head. You know, not running too high on the highs or too low on the lows. So I really just expect more of the same from DJ LeMahieu. I mean, he, he's still in the middle of his prime, 29 years old. He, he, I don't think his best years are ahead of him necessarily, but I think he has enough experience at the major league level to, you know, ride this wave of consistency entering this coming season. So I, I expect more of the same from DJ this year. Yeah, I think defensively you're going to get the same yeah. old DJ. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Not very injury that. prone. Yeah, I mean, he's super healthy, knock on wood. Yeah, <laughs> because, exactly. Uh, you never know. That's always been the story. Um, to me, what I saw out of DJ, last year it was not so much that he was struggling in in how he was hitting the ball he was still hitting just like DJ LeMay he always does what happens what happened last year especially early was teams adjusted yes he absolutely. was he, he I did not see the shift deployed against Rockies players more frequently than we saw them against probably Carlos Gonzalez and DJ <laughs> LeMay those were the two leading guys mm -hmm. Cargo because he's just a dead pull hitter. Uh, he, he slowly kind of worked his way away from that. Uh, but DJ, because he's kind of that slap opposite field hitter, they actually were deploying a similar type of shift against DJ so that he couldn't beat them in those holes that, you know, he, he does can so really, often. I mean, you know, it's, it's almost like he's throwing darts out there. And sometimes it seems unfair. And so once DJ picked that up and started to then spread the ball around. He's not a guy who prefers to pull the ball, but once he started pulling the ball a little bit last year and keeping defenses honest, that's when you saw that average skyrocket and go, get back above 300 in the second half of and, the year. And I think with that, you know, to his credit, DJ does a very good job at adjusting through, uh, through midseason. You know, he, he's very much, uh, he's a contact hitter through and through. You know, he finds holes, you know, just about as good as well as anybody on this club. So that's why I think, you know, entering 2018, you looked for him to be the kind of the pillar of this team. You know, Blackman had an incredible year last year. Same with Arenado. But, you know, LeMahieu sandwiched in between both of those guys in the lineup. You look for him to, you know, bridge the gap overall, I would say. Yep. So we'll keep moving on because we love DJ LeMahieu. And, and it's funny that these two end up saddled side by side because if, if you had to pick, let's say you're, you know, old school, you know, <laughs> schoolyard, you know, type of ball and had to had to pick players. I'd be really hard pressed to not grab DJ number Absolutely. one overall uh, if you were picking Rockies for a, for a, a game of Sandlot ball. Uh, but the guy that everybody would obviously pick first and foremost is going to be Nolan Arenado, your third baseman, uh, five-time Gold Glove winner, uh, first person to do that in the National League in his first five seasons in the year. The only other major leaguer who has done that did it over in the American League. 
league, and that's uh, you know a, a guy that you might be familiar with um, who came over from the Japanese leagues. Ichiro Suzuki wasn't exactly a rookie, so yeah. I, to me, I look at it and say, boy, Arenado did that without the benefit of having you know years in in a foreign professional league. So I mean, Nolan, look, the, the defense is there. There's a little concern with Nolan. He he mentioned this last week, and and I found this kind of interesting that he feels like he's going to have to produce better throws knowing that Ryan McMahon or Ian Desmond that blows my mind are going to potentially be at first base for him if Mark Reynolds isn't back and basically you know he's he's making his focus improving you know because we know the range the range is there um, but he also got a lot of help from Reynolds who was a surprisingly good fielding slick fielding especially at, in terms of picking the ball first baseman so when you when you're looking at okay what are all these different expectations you know defensively we don't know much about Ryan McMahon other than he can play virtually any infield position, but we don't know how well he can play any of those positions Absolutely. because he's been shuffled around so much. So with Nolan, you know, he has the opportunity to help that position be better. Uh, but it just it, it struck me as funny that that's the one thing that he's really kind of working on this this offseason is making better throws when we know what a great you know fielder. Yeah, I mean, he is. He it's just ridiculous, man. This guy. What can't this guy do at a high level? I mean, between his plate, his plate approach, his defensive awareness. I mean, he, he your jaw drops every time you watch this guy. I play so yes maybe he'll try to improve the throws but how much improves can how, how much can he improve those throws I mean it's just absurd some of the plays these guys make um, but like you alluded to Mark Reynolds was kind of a safety blanket for him over sure. at first base in some of those scenarios so I think it's going to be more so on guys like McMahon and, and Ian Desmond to have to pick up their play and performance as opposed to Nolan himself but listen this guy's primed for just another absurd year I mean it's ridiculous that he wasn't more in the conversation for NL MVP last year but that's just the course field effect but a guy that just consistently has proven to be a top three player in the game. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's coming off of yet another 100 plus RBI. Well, 130 plus. Let's not dis- let's not sell it short. 130 oh plus goodness. RBI season. 37 uh, home hit runs. 309 last year, uh, which was uh, a a career high number for him. Which was which that's you really like to see that. Um, you know, see that average finally creep up and over three 300 that was the knock on him the year that he lost the mvp to chris bryant yep. which was kind of a silly one i mean if you looked at those stats chris bryant you know he had a couple of numbers here and there that were better but but nolan by and large across the board you know really was was the superior player um in 2016 same same case was kind of true in, in 2017 a lot of people say that he and charlie blackman split the vote which is why they ended up finishing four five uh you know I, look Giancarlo stanton hit a million home runs last year and and that's what i mean even though you know the the days of sammy sosa and mark mcguire are behind us that's still what's impressive it is uh, you know barry bonds you know when, when guys change the way that you have to pitch them look yes you have to be careful with Nolan Arenado, but you don't completely change the game plan around Nolan Arenado in the same way that you do a guy like Stanton or or Aaron Judge who are together on the same. Oh my gosh, that is going to be insane. That's another conversation for another (laughs) day. Uh, But you know, Nolan. I think a, a successful season for Nolan in 2018 is continuing to maintain that batting average at or above 300. I could honestly live with a smaller RBI total if that average stays up there. Uh, what I want to see Nolan continue to do is score 100-plus runs. Yes. Uh, that, to me, is really important because Nolan is is very, very consistent um, in terms of driving in runs, but I'd like to see him crossing the plate another 100 times. He did so 116 times in 2016, 100 times in 20, 
uh, 17, was just a shade off of that in 2015 at 97. So if he can stay right around that 100 runs scored mark, I think you know those are some of the areas that that you want to see. Those are the benchmarks that that Nolan can hit. Uh, you know he's primed again to to be a, an MVP candidate. He's got to be a top five um, entering the season at, at least just in terms of odds go. Nolan isn't playing in a contract year, but his contract is going to be on his mind. Jeff Breidich spoke about this uh, earlier in the week down in Arizona uh, at Cactus League Media Day saying, yeah, you know what? We're human beings. We understand those things are going to be weighing on guys. Um, So that's the one thing that I would say maybe to be a little bit cautious of with Nolan is uh, he puts a lot of pressure on himself. He he talked about that uh, after the wild card loss about how he kind of just went into a shell for three or four days didn't talk to anybody stayed down in Arizona and just kind of tried to like clear his mind and get get a little zen on it went to a concert and just <laughs> you know tried to tried to recover from that loss and I think that's the thing is that Nolan Arenado is such a cerebral player he works so hard uh, obviously the physical talents are there uh, but you don't want him carrying too much burden you want him to play free and loose because that's when Nolan's at his best and I think that's why you know it's going to be incumbent on the rest of the lineup picking it up a guy like Trevor Story who had a down year last year Ian Desmond as well but one interesting tidbit with Nolan as well um, I think he's really matured as a player as the years go along and more so specifically in his plate approach he's increased his walk total for the most part since 2015 only walked 34 times in 15 up that number to 68 in 2016 and then 62 again last year so I mean that's a significant jump for a guy who is as heavy and a power yeah more than all around hitter for the most part uh, in Nolan Arenado so you're seeing that play discipline and you're really just seeing him kind of well round his game obviously we see him you know making the adjustments to his throws and whatnot you're going to just see exponential growth but I, I agree with you Casey I think 100 runs is another benchmark that you're going to look for this year and I, I tend to agree with you that I'm okay with the batting average dropping a little bit and I would honestly like to see the home runs maybe even pick up a little bit a guy that hit 41 in um, 2016 and 42 in 2015 does he have the potential to maybe anchor the middle of that lineup as a power bat a little bit more maybe we don't know at this point in time, but uh, at this point, it's a lot more fine-tuning for Nolan than big adjustments. All right, we have to move on. You mentioned uh, his so name. Sad. It's tough because we could talk about Nolan and his greatness all day long, but we do need to slide over to the number six spot, and that's Trevor Story, the shortstop. Uh, Quite possibly the most interesting story of this uh, of this spring training. Very much so. You know, appeared on the cover of Mile High Sports Magazine yeah. in 2017 for our Rockies preview. Uh, look, Trevor Story came out of the gates unlike... Probably any player that we've seen in Rockies history. Yeah. Uh, David Dahl gave him a run for his money a little bit later on in the year, but but certainly without a doubt, Trevor Story uh, was was he just he really did he lit the world on fire in in the early part of 2016, and then that thumb injury uh, derailed the season, kind of put him on the shelf, and I, I think in many ways that injury is ultimately sort of what set him back as much in 2017 as, as some of the other issues that he has that we'll talk about um, because he didn't have that full year to to get a, a major league season under his belt to have the highs and lows he had just the highs yeah. and so when he hit some of those lows last year and, and he hit some pretty deep lows last year uh, you know the batting average 239 which took him some effort to get to um, it took him quite a while to really you know be at that number there was a point in time during the season where he was hovering below 200 and yeah, everybody was really kind of scratching their heads um you know and that's that's over 555 plate appearances so it's not as though this was limited you know limited uh time 145 games last year um the contact has to improve for trevor story uh 
you can say that baseball has moved to a, an all or nothing type of an approach at the plate, but you cannot strike out 191 times. It was dreadful. Lead the National League uh, and and expect to be a consistently impactful part of this lineup. So to me, that's where everything begins and ends with Trevor Story is dialing it back and not trying to hit every single pitch out of the park, knowing that that power is naturally going to be there and cutting down those strikeout totals. Which I absolutely think he can do. I mean, former manager Walt Weiss and present-day manager Bob Black have both said that they both believe that Trevor Story has up-the-middle power, the, the capability to have consistently hit doubles and whatnot. So I agree with you, Casey. It comes down to what we talked about with Nolan Arenado, maturing at the plate, cutting down his swing. Too many times I see Trevor Story, the, the high and inside fastball, every single time. It's just, oh, a tomahawk hawk swing he's got it's it's like what you tell your kids when you're in little league i mean it's it's sea ball hit ball it's really about simplifying things for trevor story um i i think it's it was that all or nothing swing that he brought to the table that you know at times it was phenomenal but uh, you know nine times out of ten he was striking out for the most part so i think you saw him i think you saw him improve though as the season went along Uh, a good tidbit is his 269 batting average in september and october if i remember correctly i think he had a couple pair of hits in the wild card game as well Mm -hmm. um off the top of my head so i think for trevor's story it's it's a lot about slowing it down you know we always talk about too much too quick potentially um i think when he came into the league under these good graces with the the improbable start that he had maybe he got a little bit too fat of a head and you know he's had to force himself to come back down to reality hopefully last year was a he gets that bad taste out of his mouth. Um, all indications that I'm seeing is that he put in a ton of work this offseason to really cut down on the strikeouts and improve his swing. So, Well, and the thing with Trevor's story that you have to think about is he's only 24 years old. Yeah, he'll be very 25 young. this year. But if you look around the infield at the guys that are surrounding him, Mark Reynolds was there at the elder statesman at, at 33 years old. But, but Mark Reynolds is not – he's – He's a leader. He was a leader in that clubhouse, but not in the way that that you would really expect that he would help a guy like Trevor Story come out of his funk. You know, it, they didn't have that. You know, for lack of a better, longtime Rockies fans will will think back to a Jason Giambi type, yep. right? A guy. You know, Gerardo Parra, I think, has maybe come on somewhat in that role, but it's more of the fun-loving, goofy. It's you know. I, I don't want to speak out of turn because I can't say that Gerardo Parra doesn't do this, uh, but is there that guy on the roster who who can look a young player at 24 and tell and, and kind of give him that reality check rather than waiting for him to come up to that reality check when he's hitting below 200 and has struck out in 16 of his last 24 at bats. Uh, that's kind of the reality check that Trevor's story was faced with last year as opposed to maybe having that guy who can look him in the eye and have that conversation with him. No, yeah, it's a fantastic question and you know, I don't think the Rockies truthfully have that guy. I mean, I, I, while Cargo you know, has been a staple in that locker room in the, or in the clubhouse, excuse me, um, I don't think he was ever a guy that would help guys get out of slumps for the most part. I, I, I agree. I don't think Trevor Story had that father figure to turn to. Um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see if he himself internally has done enough to, you know, dig himself out of that hole. But, you know, if I'm Story, I, I think you got to talk to a guy like Nolan Arenado, a guy who you play next to on the diamond, try to pick up from him. You know, how do I become a better contact hitter? A guy that's on the other side of the diamond, DJ LeMahieu, uh, like we talked about, a guy that hits over 300 consistently. You could, you know, nitpick from all these different guys. Charlie Blackman, who's a creature habit as well. There, there's different kinds of hitters that the Rockies have that I think Story can pull from all different styles to, you know, maybe try to form something of his own. Yeah, I would love to see Trevor Story in 2018 adopt that sort of puppy dog mentality yep. where he is on the tail of whether it be Nolan, whether it be Charlie, whether it be DJ, any of those three are perfect role models for him uh, to, to really, you know, 
spend a lot of time in the cage, spend that study time, uh, you know, on flights, doing all the things that are necessary. Now that he is no longer in awe of being in the show, now that he is no longer uh, this phenomenal, you know, this phenom, for lack of a better term, uh, but this phenomenal talent that everybody's just in awe of. Now he needs to settle down and become a true professional major leaguer, and I think that's what this season is all about for Trevor Story. Yeah, this is year three for him, and, and you know it's time for him to grow into his own. So we were talking about expectations. Uh, obviously, he hit two thirty nine last season, drove in eighty two runs, and blasted twenty four home runs out of the ballpark. What what is a fair kind of expectation for Story? Because to me, the batting average has to go up and the strikeouts have to go down. Yeah, and that's that's to me where it begins and ends. Sa- same same story. Haha. <laughs> um, I mean, at, at one hundred ninety one strikeouts last year, he was you know again high. Higher than Mark Reynolds, who was, you know, when you tell somebody that Mark Reynolds wasn't the highest strikeout total on your team, that's a, that's kind of a scary proposition. Um, if you take those two out of the equation, uh, actually, next on the team was Charlie Blackman with 135, wow. which is a little bit surprising. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think realistically... Trevor has to get that number down to around 150. If, if, if he gets that strikeout total down around uh, 150, just by nature of putting the ball in play more regularly, he's going to see his average jump 15, maybe even 20 points to where, okay, you're sitting at a guy, looking at a guy who's hitting maybe 260. You can live with 260 out of your seven or eight hole hitter, depending on where they decide to slot him. Uh, if if he's not giving you just completely empty at bats and that's the problem with with a guy like Trevor Story is with those high strikeout totals now if you're going a guy who strikes out as frequently as he does followed by a pitcher, that's just a wasted pair of outs right there. Yeah, and I, there's been kind of reports coming out of camp that, you know, the Rockies may envision Trevor Story as their cleanup hitter, you know, maybe this year and moving forward. So obviously the strikeout totals are going to have to go down. And, and we talked about him maturing at the plate. There were so many times watching these games last year where he would just swing at the first two pitches regardless of wherever they were. I mean, in the dirt, high and out. I mean, it was just he was shooting himself in the foot, essentially. Yeah. So for, for me, it's just a lot of internal growth that we need to see from Story. And if he can accomplish that, this guy has the potential to be an anchor in the middle of that lineup for sure. Yeah, I think you saw a story jumping at those pitches because he knows the hole in his swing is with the curveball. Mm-hmm. That's that's that as soon as that piece was exposed, even as early as 2016, pitchers really started to exploit that. He's he he does have that big hole. And so I think he was trying to overcompensate for that by trying to jump on early fastballs and, and chasing a lot of those pitches outside of the zone. I like the idea. We, they've talked about moving Charlie to the number three spot in the lineup, which which is intriguing to me. There's there's some interesting things there. Some of it depends on who else is there to, to lead off, but if you can surround a Charlie Black or surround a Trevor Story with Charlie Blackman and Nolan Arnauto, now it's a little bit more interesting because you've got your three, four, five. Now you're going to have less quote unquote empty at bats in that four in that number four spot because he's going to see better pitches because you don't want to have to face Nolan Arnauto coming up after that. So you know I, I think Story. The one thing you can say about Story that has been very consistent is his defense, very very solid on that front. And I think that's you know one thing that the Rockies continue to go back to is hey let's not discount how good defensively this guy is because you know as Brendan Rodgers who is you know a a top you know what is he top three I believe number three uh, yeah. overall pick a few years back um, is is meteoric rise is is happening and we're seeing it before our very eyes. He's in his first major league camp with with Brendan Rodgers coming up and pressing you know pressing those two middle infield spots because he can play either or it's leaving the Rockies in a very interesting position they've they've been kind of force feeding him at second base with the idea of hey we might not be able to keep DJ long term and we we've got control of of Trevor for quite a few years uh, as a drafted player and as someone who's come up in our organization 
However, if Trevor Story isn't performing and they're looking at that price tag on Nolan and saying, boy, that's going to be too high. Does Brendan Rodgers start to press Trevor Story? This is an important year for Trevor Story. Let's let's not I don't want to overstate it, but it is an important year. He needs to take some pretty significant steps this year in terms of showing that. Okay, if if the strikeout totals are going to stay high, that he's got to produce more than 24 home runs. He's got to be a 30 plus type of a guy. Uh, it's got to be 100 RBIs, not 82. So that's where I, I I see Trevor Story sitting. So many of these moves are interrelated, and that's the tricky part about this. As we move. Into the outfield, uh, the guy atop the depth chart in left field is a guy who also can play shortstop, and so there's a little bit of an insurance policy there. In Ian Desmond, uh, he came into camp. Everyone sort of thought, well, you know, because Bud Black had sort of alluded to and hinted that he would be the guy at first base. We had heard him say a couple of times during the offseason, you know, anytime first base got mentioned, Ian's name came out first. Then Ian Desmond arrives at spring training uh, over the weekend and tells him, no, I've mostly been getting myself ready to play left field. That's my understanding. So we look at left field, primarily occupied last year by Gerardo Parra. Parra is going to be moving potentially, uh, and there's, there's it's all in limbo it's, still. It's, it's all in limbo still. But let's if we're going based off of the depth chart as of February 22nd, Gerardo Parra was your left fielder last year. Ian Desmond will be your left fielder this year. Parra had a fantastic year last he year. Really he really did. He, I think he a bounce back year too. Yeah, I, I think he over shot what anybody was expecting from him in in so many ways hit 309 over 392 at bats which was just jaw-dropping for a guy like para um, played exceptionally good in the field as usual his strikeout total this blew me away just 67 yeah I, right this guy did so much for this team Gerardo para's strikeout total was 67 and he took 20 bases on balls i don't know that he had 20 base on balls in the five seasons combined yeah. before that. Uh, just a, a, fan, a fantastic year for Parra uh, at the age of 30. He'll be 31 this year. Uh, still has a couple of years left on that deal. So the Rockies have some security there in, in Parra. But can he match what he did last year? We'll talk about that when we move over to right field. Another question is, can Ian Desmond match what Gerardo Parra did last year playing left field? And you know it's a it's a big question. And you know I think there's a lot of pressure on Desmond this year. Obviously, last offseason signing the record, I believe it was what five years, ninety million dollar contract, 70. The, or seventy million dollar yep. contract for the franchise, um, the largest contract in franchise history. Um, he was plagued by injuries. Um, he he was hurt in spring training last year, and from talking with him, it just seemed like he was never able to really get fully comfortable with the team. So I'm personally willing to give Desmond a little bit of a pass of last year. He hit two seventy four with um, forty RBI, seven home runs in uh, 339 plate appearances. So, you know, Desi is a guy that the Rockies are relying on to, you know, pick it up this year. We talked about Story, another guy that's going to have to pick it up. Um, but he, the, by the Rockies' standards, last year was actually a down year offensively, largely because guys like Ian Desmond didn't live up to the hype. But at age 32... It's going to be interesting to see how he bounces back, especially, like you said, can he live up to the expectations that Parra put in left field last year, Parra hitting over 300? I really don't know if he can. I mean, there was times last year where he just looked lost for the most part. I mean, obviously, he's a proven guy. Um, he's played in the year for ever since 2009, um, hit 285 in 2016 and, 220, and 233 the year before. So he's never essentially been, you know, this impact bat, which is why I was so confused why Jeff Breidich, of all players, decides to give Ian Desmond the largest contract in franchise history. You know, can he play and can he play at a high level? Sure. But can he hit over 300? I really don't know. 
Well, he hasn't proven that he can. The closest he's, never, he's yeah. come is 292, back when he was an all-star for Washington at the age of 26. Uh, he did earn an all-star bid in 2016, his lone year with the Texas Rangers uh, hit 285 that year, and I think that was the Ian Desmond that the Rockies thought they were going to sign. They they have a guy that they can deploy pretty much anywhere they and that's want. The, that, and that's that's a great part about it. But but a lot of people will say, well, is a is a 70 million dollar utility player really worthwhile investment? But you can't look at it as a that that term utility player gets thrown around, and you think of guys like Alexi Amarista or Tony Walters, and it's really not fair because Ian Desmond is an everyday player, and and he is an above-average everyday player anywhere you put him on the field. And so I think that's what you're getting from Ian Desmond. You talked about he never really f- kind of found his his groove or his role with this team. And I think that was the, the most interesting thing for me to see play out last year was how Ian Desmond... He, he, I don't want to say that he was a man on an island I, because I, I think that's... It, we're not there, you know, the, the clubhouse is only open limited times, yeah. right? It's open, you know, in a time when the players know that we're going to be in there sniffing around and, and driving them crazy. They know they're going to be, we're going to be in there after the, after the game. So we don't see what happens when those doors are closed to the media. But Desmond seemed like a guy who was always on his own schedule. Maybe that's a better way to put that's it. That's a great way to put right? it. He was a guy who, you know, who seemed to be doing for Ian Desmond Versus doing for the Colorado Rockies. And I I don't know if that was a product of the frustration he was feeling by not being as impactful as he was expected to be early on because of that injury that he suffered during spring training. You know, d- he's he's a very personable guy. A lot of our writers, uh, Vanessa Hughes, uh, Alyssa No, have, have got to know him, and he's a really, really great guy. But you never really saw him click, at least not visibly, with that clubhouse. So you wonder, is that just part of it is he's worried about those expectations and sort of the mental side of it for Ian Desmond was always very, very curious for me last year. Yeah, I, I think you kind of alluded to it that I just think the injury really boiled over and frustrated him to the point that he couldn't find, you know, gear, kick himself into gear. You know, I did ask him during the Rockies uh, clubhouse celebration after they clinched the wildcard game. I'm like, is this what you signed up for? And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, this is exactly what I signed up for. So he is, you know, in in the sense of helping this team, you know, push them to where they want to go, get back to the playoffs and hopefully bring home a World Series title for the first time in the franchise's history, which is why I just think a lot of it was frustrations. But now there's this pressure on him to deliver. If he has another year like last year, I don't know what the Rockies are going to do. I mean, everyone's been already throwing out the Mike Hampton contract comparison, which was by far the worst contract in franchise history. And I'm not ready to go there by any means with Ian Desmond. But this is a guy that has never hit, he's never driven in 100 runs in his career. Um, and a guy that the Rockies are really banking on to pick up his play to help well-round their offense. Uh, to, for me, I, I think we got to look at the home run total. He's hit 25 home runs once in his career. 24 in 2014, and he's only hit. He's got to increase the power, is what I'm trying to say. Especially playing at Coors Field. Well, like the power. I mean, when you say power, I, I'm going to look at it in, in in terms of extra base hits as well. Mm-hmm. Where especially for a guy like Ian Desmond, for as big as he is, as athletic as he is, uh, his his extra base hits. The production there is just it's it's pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no other way to put it really. But I mean, if you look back in 625 at bats in 2016 when he was an All Star with the Rangers, just 29 doubles. That's why. I mean, that's 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 a that's a tiny yeah tiny number. I mean, when when you're talking about 
you know, a, a guy like Nolan Arenado, who had 43. Trevor Story, for crying out loud, who hit 239, had 32 doubles last year. And so that, to me, is the concern with Ian Desmond is, you know, does he settle for singles or is does he not have the gap power to produce those types of things? Uh, you know, his average was passable, I guess. You know, for the money that you were paying him, you, you'd like to see a little bit more than 274. Um, you know, I think the other issue with Desmond was he did seem to come up empty in some clutch situations. He really did. And and I think that was probably a larger concern for Rockies fans than the sum total of his statistics was that he didn't contribute when he was needed. And I think that was the big concern with him. Yeah. And, you know, I think you hit it on the head with that one is for me, Desi's got to learn how to play to the strengths of Coors Field. You know, we always talk about Coors Field represents this opportunity for players to revive their careers or respark their careers or whatever. I think Desi has a perfect opportunity to do that this year. 32 years old, you know, he's been around the block in terms of knowing what baseball has to offer. And, you know, you talked about up the middle power, extra base hits. Coors Field is arguably the best ballpark for that. So I think if Desi, you know, like Trevor's story, learns to refine himself a little bit and get back to the basics and try to slowly build from there, I think he'll be just fine. But uh, we were talking about expectations and pressure. I say they're most pressure on this year uh, in terms of all players on Ian Desmond to produce. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, you hate to boil it down to dollars and cents, but that's, I think, really what it comes down to. That's why that pressure is there. Sliding over to the number eight spot on the field, center fielder, I think everyone's favorite Rocky at this point. I mean, obviously we love Nolan and and, and not taking anything away, but just from a personality standpoint, uh, larger than life guy. Oh my goodness. Charlie Blackman, who had a record setting year last year, uh, an, an incredible explosion of power uh, from that leadoff spot with 37 home runs tied for the team lead uh, with Nolan Arenado. Uh, but the, the big number was the 103 RBIs, 104 total, but 103 out of the leadoff spot, which set a new MLB record. Uh, added on to that with 14 triples, you know, just 14 triples, uh, <laughs> which happened to lead. Uh, I know it led the, the National League. I believe it led the major leagues as so. well. Uh, and then a, a cool round 35 doubles. Uh, added up to his total of 213 hits, uh, which was also the most in the National League. Won the National League batting title, picked up a silver slugger, uh, went to the All-Star game. I, I mean, we can keep rattling off all of Charlie's yeah. accomplishments from 2017, uh, it's unfair to expect an equal level of production in 2018. It's just that's just a reality. When you when you win a batting title, guys are going to attack you more. They're going to adjust. DJ LeMay, you saw that, right? Batting title in 2016, stepped down a notch in 2017, still hit over 300. So that's sort of the question: Can Charlie stay right around that 310, 315 number uh, after hitting 331 last year? Can he stay in the neighborhood of 100 RBIs? That's the big question for me, and I think some of it's going to depend on where they put him in the lineup. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that situation moving forward, but I mean, like you alluded to, this was a career year for a guy who is now 31 years old. Uh, His prime is coming to a close in a sense of years, and and going by numbers strictly, but a, a guy that had a career high 104 RBIs last year and a career high in home runs in 37. I don't expect that to be repeated by any means. I mean, you're going to have to naturally expect that to come down a year older. It's going to be interesting. And, you know, he did win the NL batting title last year. But uh, for me, I don't know if it's a little bit of a concern, but July he hit 370, August he hits 383, September, October, that average drops down to 290. I mean, maybe that's something to look at, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of wear and tear on the season for a guy that holds himself, you know, to the highest of standards in terms of preparation. So, listen... I think Blackman is going to be phenomenal for the Rockies this year, but I, I really think you're going to see him come back down to earth a little bit. I think you alluded to it perfectly. You know, you saw pitchers adjust to DJ LeMahieu, and while I think, you know, Blackman is a little bit more versatile, 
pitchers are going to learn how to pitch to his weaknesses and attack him in that way. So it's going to be interesting, though. You know, we talk about Blackman as this creature of habit, a guy that adjusts to just about anything. Um, if there's any player on the Rockies that is capable of, you know, coming as close to repeating a season as they did last year, I think, you know, you have to throw Blackman into that consideration just based off his work habit alone. Yeah, he is one of the hardest working guys. I mean, I've never seen that before. For those of you who don't know, and we've talked about this before, but if you want to talk to Charlie post-game, you have to tell Rockies PR, go get Charlie, we need him. And you'll get him if he's had a big game. If he hasn't, uh, you know, Charlie Blackman and DJ LeMahieu, they're... Out as soon as the game is over, they're getting their post game meal and they're getting their post game workout on. Uh, just relentless, tireless workers, um, and that's to me as both of those two enter their last season of team control and and are looking at free agency. There's just there's this, you know, pit in my stomach that that's going. Boy, something major is going to be lost if those two guys move on. But we can't think about that too much right now. We have to. Uh, accept and expect that those two especially are going to come to the ballpark prepared to play with no eye other than that game because that's who they are and that's what their personality is you know defensively there's always been a little bit of a knock on Charlie uh, that he's not a great defensive outfielder I think he's actually vastly improved over the last couple of years and maybe maybe he doesn't get the best jumps but his routes have become a lot more efficient he's a lot smarter especially about playing balls off the wall so he's not giving up as many of those uh freebie triples or potential inside the park home runs the the uh the hunter pence type of play in the outfield if you will uh charlie's (laughs) really improved in that area um his arm still is is you know mediocre to to below average uh to a degree uh but i think some of that is amplified playing at Coors Field in that that super huge outfield. So yeah, Charlie Blackman, expect another very solid year, but don't go too crazy, Rockies fans, if he's not hitting 331 next year. Yeah. Slide this over to our final outfield position and the final position that we're going to talk about for the day, and that's right field, the number nine spot on your roster. Carlos Gonzalez has held down right field for the Colorado Rockies. Since 2009, effectively, yeah, it's been almost time. a decade. Yep, and and remains a free agent. The Rockies and Cargo have had talks. We've heard it, uh, but Cargo, who is only going to be 32, and that's a, a really, I think that's the piece that a lot of people forget. We we acted last year almost like Cargo was was in his Todd Helton years, uh, <laughs> you know that those those later 30s, and you're going, oh man, how can we get out of this contract? Because he did have a, an extremely disappointing year by his standards. The first half of the season was just absolutely abysmal. There's no getting it's around awful. it. Cargo knows it. He came around late, so when Charlie started to slide a little bit, he actually did pick up some of the slack, um, as well as Trevor Story picked up a little bit better later on in the season but the Rockies at this point have Gerardo Parra we talked you know uh, fairly at length about him uh, when we talked about left field and that solid season that he had but as it stands right now Parra who is also a a former gold glove winner is slotted in in that right field spot you've been an advocate you wrote a piece on milehighsports.com recently to bring back Carlos Gonzalez, uh, you know, with that roughly $10 million price tag that we've talked about, uh, that that would give you some options if you do that and put him in a starting role. Now, all of a sudden, you can slide Parra back over to left field. You can move Desmond over to first base. And if Ryan McMahon isn't ready or Ryan McMahon can be on your roster as a as a, you know, as a utility type of a player, uh, it gives you some options bringing Cargo back, but it doesn't seem like the Rockies are chomping at the bit because they have guys like David Dahl and Rymel Tapia who spent extended time at the major leagues over the course of the last two years between the two of them. Um, I really don't see Cargo coming back. 
uh, as much as that might pain Rockies fans, because I just think that they're too afraid that that first half of last year is what Cargo is now. Yeah, I mean, I understand that. And, you know, in, in the piece that I wrote, and you kind of alluded to it as well, he is only 32 years old, which is the and he was the same age as Ian Desmond last offseason when he signed the largest contract in franchise history. That, to me, you know, should, should you know, wipe away the narrative of this guy is shot and done. I mean, this is he's been a guy that has been a consistent hitter for the most part of his career. And I truthfully believe the pressure of playing in a contract year got to him. I think that was a large part of it. I just don't think one god-awful season should completely derail the Rockies. Well, and especially when that contract year was a year in which he reports later surfaced that he had declined a four-year yeah. extension with the Rockies because he wanted to show what he is worth and now that that has really backfired and, and you feel badly for Cargo because he you know he is uh, you know literally he's the cornerstone of that club for for the last decade has the corner office there in the clubhouse and is a guy really that sort of sets the tone for this team but part of what I wonder why they haven't you know struck a deal with Cargo why he hasn't been willing to come down a little bit is are they trying to pass that torch and get, you know, establish who that new clubhouse leader is, whether it be Nolan for the long term, whether it be Charlie? But it, my feeling is if you can get Cargo back for a year, then you don't have to answer that question while there's so many questions still lingering between Charlie and Nolan. Yeah, and listen, Cargo's just a year removed from being an all-star. 2016 was an all-star in which he hit 298 with 25 home runs and 100 RBIs. Or he did that in 2016, excuse me. Um, but to me... You kind of talked about it earlier, too, is you have guys like Rommel Tapia and David Dahl in the works. How much... They, they've had so much experience in AAA. I mean, how much longer can you can, can you continue to push these guys off? I don't know the answer to that. But to me, you know, we were also talking about the Rockies going all in, trying to capitalize on this big three of Nolan, DJ, and Charlie. I think having a sure thing in Carlos Gonzalez in the sense of a guy that's been there before, knowing he has the potential to bounce back to cargo form... Maybe gives the Rockies the best chance to win, and then you can platoon Desmond at first and get Ryan McMahon the looks that he wants. So I don't know. To me, I just don't think shutting the I think shutting the door on Carlos Gonzalez at this point in time would be foolish. If the contract is right in a sense that it's around eight to ten million and is incentive based, I think it makes a lot of sense uh, in terms of you know giving them the veteran aspect that they need to help unify the clubhouse for one more year while you have DJ Charlie and Nolan. But that said. Can you afford to pay him that much? Well, and that's that's ultimately the question in all of this. We keep throwing out $10 million as a number that we think the Rockies should go out and spend still, whether it be to lock up uh, a first baseman, whether it be a, a, a right fielder. But I think the reality is that number is probably more like two or three million. Uh, if, if we're just being yep. honest, I, I don't think ten million. And cargo—that's that, well, a slap in the face. Yeah, to cargo. it's a slap in the face to, to a guy like Carlos Gonzalez. Even someone like Mark Reynolds probably is is probably having those same thoughts at this point. Going, come on, Rockies! I was on a minor league deal last year. I proved that I'm still a major leaguer. Don't do this. You know, don't play me like that again. Um, but again, if you're Carlos Gonzalez and your Mark Reynolds and the phone isn't ringing or the phone is ringing in places like Cincinnati yeah. or Seattle. Uh, do you really want to be in those type of situations knowing that you might be watching the guys that you just spent the last several years with popping champagne at the end of the year again? And that's why I think it makes sense for Cargo, you know, if the right contract does present itself, you know, one more year. You know, I'm not saying the Rockies should go out and offer him the four year that they offered him last offseason. I think one more year of Carlos Gonzalez makes sense for the Rockies and himself because if he can bounce back, you know, hit close to 280 around there and, you know, blast 25 home runs out of the ballpark, that's going to reset his market value. And he should be he should be able to go out and get a two or three year deal from that. So I, I think it could potentially be a win-win if they do decide to go that route. But again, you know, you have youngsters lying in the weight that need opportunities. How much longer can you justify pushing these guys off? I don't know. But it's really going to be interesting because I think whichever way the Rockies decide to go, I think they're going to experience success. Well, and 
also factoring into that is what is the long-term plan with Charlie Blackman? Exactly. Because if the long-term plan is we know we're not going to be able to pay Charlie his market value and we're going to let him move on, well, then it is important to make sure that David Dahl gets extended time at the major league level because he can be your center fielder. He's, I mean, the two guys, I mean, I see them as almost carbon copies of one another, at least in terms of physical makeup, the way that their swings are, are, are set up. Uh, defensively, they offer about the same thing. Work ethic might be a little bit different. Obviously, the health is vastly, vastly different there. Uh, but Tappy is also another guy who has proven that you know if he can just you know become a little bit more comfortable in that outfield position um, he could be a very dangerous and interesting threat there so again so much of whether they try and bring Carlos Gonzalez back ultimately depends on well do they need to get longer reps for guys like Tapia and Dahl because they know that they're going to be moving on from Charlie Blackman. I think those are the sort of tea leaves that we're going to have to read as this season moves you know, out of the sort of speculation phase that we're in right now and into the, the nuts and bolts of, of the Cactus League play, which is, as we mentioned, kicks off tomorrow. And where things sit mid-March, you know, they'll, I think the Rockies are going to have, they're going to, they're going to have to tip their hand at some point. We're going to have to know a little bit of what that long-term plan is, because if the long-term plan is, okay, we're going to have to move on from Charlie Blackman. They need to have David Dahl there. It's probably not worth making a, a big time run at Carlos Gonzalez. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of alluded to it as well earlier in the podcast that a guy like Charlie Blackman can move down the lineup. Is Rommel Tapia the guy, you know, lying in the wait to, you know, take over the reins as a leadoff hitter? But there's just so many different options. We haven't even talked about Mike Talkman, a guy whose name has been, you know, consistently thrown in there for playing time as well in the outfield. So uh, it's like a carousel of sorts. You know, which direction do the Rockies want to go? They have the option to stay cheap, stay internal, stay young, and also, you know, go out and sign someone like a Carlos Gonzalez. So uh, I think, you know, we're kind of still in lie and wait mode. We have to see what Jeff Breidich and the Rockies are going to do. I think you said it well in the, in the sense that they're going to have to tip their hand eventually. You know, we're going to have to start seeing some definition. So it's definitely going to be interesting to say the least. But if you're a Rockies fan, I think you could take a sigh of relief knowing that there's options and yeah. good options at that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, outside of first base, which is a, a big question mark, those outfield positions, even though there's question marks, they're question marks of who's going to step in and, and be the guy. And they're all, they're all really positive choices, whether it be bringing back a Carlos Gonzalez, because you and I, I think are in agreement that it would be a, a good move. I think he will bounce back uh, this season and, and ha- have an improved year. Uh, if it's him, if it's Gerardo Parra, if it's Ian Desmond, if it's Tapia, if it's Dahl. I mean, the fact that we have so many names as options, I think, is, is a very good thing. Uh, we will dive into some of those other names like Talkman later on in spring training. We will do a prospects edition of the Blake Street Irregulars podcast. That'll come up once we start to see some of those guys uh, getting some reps, getting some at-bats here in Cactus League play, which does kick off tomorrow down at Exciting, Salt River Fields. At Talking Stick, Rockies and Diamondbacks. They ended the season, or the Rockies ended the season against like the Diamondbacks, twins. right? They share the same facilities. Yep. It's they crazy, will, man. They, will, they both have humidors yeah. now. Uh, they will open the season against one another as well. So that's something exciting to look forward to. This is the Blake Street Irregulars podcast presented by Tap 14 at 1920 Blake Street, one half block from Coors Field in the ballpark neighborhood with 70 Colorado beers on tap, 100 Colorado distilled spirits, an amazing American Alpine fair that is locally sourced and rotates seasonally. We will be there at their terrific rooftop patio on Thursdays for home games during the course of the season. So look for us there. In the meantime, you can look up Tap 14 at TapXIV on Twitter or Tap 14. That's Tap 14 spelled out. So we're testing your spelling skills there, (laughs) Rockies fans, uh, online. Tap 14, 1920 Blake Street. Anilo, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a lot of fun. We're going to bring you back here in probably another week or two, and we're going to talk about those prospects. Yeah, definitely looking forward to it, Casey. Appreciate you having me on. 
Thanks, folks. And uh, we'll catch you on Monday with the next edition of the Blake Street Irregulars podcast, uh, where we will be looking back at the first weekend of Cactus League play. Thanks so much. And go Rockies.